Hello, hello. Welcome to the Bali Effect. This is Preeti Tana. And this is Aditi Perry. <laughs> where, do, where do we begin today, Didi? You tell me. We ain't, we don't have a script. There's... We don't. We we um we had so we've been doing this for a few months. Yeah. And we had a last minute. By last minute, I mean thirty minutes prior to leave time. I guess cancellation. Shit happens. It does, and so we we kind of scrambled a little bit. <laughs> scrambled a little bit. <laughs> Wait. To those in listening land, thank you for tuning in. Yay, we love you. And the thing is, as much as the show might seem completely off the cuff, and a lot of it is, we do have some structure and we think about who we are going to be speaking with and we try to prepare. And logistically, we have to schedule time to be in the studio. We have to yeah, I mean, we book have amazing engineers and all of that stuff. And... When 20, 30 minutes before we're supposed to go on air, I get a text <laughs> yeah. saying uh, we're, we're in a rush because we, we have a cancellation. I think there are a few lessons here. First oh, of all, I don't think it's any countless. surprise that anyone who knows us that we prepare for our podcast because we're probably both two very type A individuals in our everyday life. You're A plus, I'm A minus. Mm, okay. I'll take that. I'm trying to be more of a C student these days. What? I, I mean... So, so the thing is, nothing about you says these. I the I not like, even your fingernails. Right I now. I love the I love today because it it's sort of off script Absolutely. and and messy, and you know when things like that happen, I've found in my life. And look, the the two things that happened this morning were I was I was slightly aggravated. And then I was like, okay, we're going to – let's put the energy out there of this is all going to work out. Yeah. And then what happened? Two angels. Angels. Um, sort of came to us. One is our very lovely engineer, Joy, who – We love you, Joy. She's behind the wall, just beautiful and radiant and saving the day. <laughs> and saving the day. And then, of course, we'll get to our guests in a few minutes. But uh, I think – the one thing that I always remember, and I don't know if this comes with a lot of experience or age, but usually the things that don't work out, it's because something better is on its way, you know? And and while we do- Wait a minute. Do you want to say that again? Because that is a deeply profound reflection. I think we know. I think we all, with any amount of experience, if we took a moment and thought about our lives, know this, but the 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 moments, the people, the relationships, the jobs, the apartments, the situations that don't work out, and we think, okay, I, I this is exactly what I wanted. The next thing is always better. Mm. It's it's always better, and you may not think so immediately, but it is. It is every every. I don't know why I'm going down here. Probably because of our guest that canceled. But every man that I've dated was better than the last. Ooh. Right? Better for me, not better in, in you know, occupation or looks right. or whatever, but right. just better for me. Uh, apartment searching. Ooh. Before you even get to that, mm-hmm. that is profound because when you're with someone who you're really into and then it doesn't work, that can be devastating. It is devastating. Really devastating. Sure. But then to say, like, but the 2.0 was even better. Yes. Look, some oftentimes that reflection comes much later. Of course. Right? I mean, we've all been, you know, on the couch with Ben and Jerry's or pizza or, you know, antagonizing over social media posts, <laughs> you know, wondering yeah. where the love of our lives has suddenly disappeared to. And, and you know, and it, at that particular moment, it doesn't seem as though the next thing will be better. You, know, you can't even imagine that. This right. person was perfect for Right. Um, but it usually is better. All it right. usually is. All right. Well, maybe today was about, you know, not reopening that door. I don't know. But you were mentioning something about an apartment. Same. You know, we've all apartment hunted, I think. Sure. We're in New York, York City. And, uh, you know, put the deposit down and something doesn't work out. And, and inevitably, that the where you end up, you think, oh, this is where I'm supposed to end up. You want to hear something kind of crazy that I haven't thought about until you just mentioned that? 
when I was looking for an apartment the last time I was going through that search, my roommate and I found a place that seemed like a, a good like place for us to be. Um, it was you know, centrally located. It had the space. It had the amenities, blah, blah, blah. So we... You know, we had gone for the second tour, and they had approved the application, and I remember we were both walking to our cars saying, like, okay, all right, this is going to be the new place for us. And there was this cat that was following me, and it started to screech and scream, like, and it started chasing me around my car. I was, I was like, being run around the car by this cat. And I really think that it was it was like a I took it as a bad omen because then after that, I finally had to like kick it away. And I don't like harming animals. Listen, look, PETA, don't come for me. I, but this thing, it was so, so weird. The next day, I get an email from the realtor saying that they wanted all this. I had already been approved for the apartment, but they were saying they wanted all this extra information about my roommate. And yeah. I'm like, well, that's weird because I'm going to be on the lease and then she is on there with me. But we're like, all right. So we put in her information and then they said, well, we're going to need um, four months deposit. I was like, what? That's insane. You get first month, you get last month's. And you get the security deposit, which is essentially three months' rent. Why do you need four? Well, we, we just need four. And then I, you know, being a lawyer, start looking into this stuff. And it, some of that starts to, to me, feel like redlining. Right. And I called him on it. I'm like, do you understand what I do for a living? And you understand that what you're trying to impose is actually unlawful. And then the next day, the woman came back. She's like, oh, yeah, um, yeah, the landlord said, never mind, we'll take three months' rent. But something about that stopped me in my tracks. And I was like, I don't think this is a place for us. And, you know, in that in that experience, you had probably uh, many universal signs for you oh, not to move forward with that apartment. Right. But sometimes we don't right. get those. And we Sometimes didn't. we just lose it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. without those very poignant uh, signs of yeah. maybe this isn't the right thing. And yeah. I think those are the moments that we tend to feel s super upset about because yeah. we don't have a rationale behind it. Right. You know, in that situation, you had two things that were, you're like, That's yeah, true. you know, even at the time. Well, I have a better story um, that came to me. There's no better stories. <laughs> well, I, I have a more that had an even, so we ended up getting a different apartment that ended up saving us a lot of money. So right, it worked exactly. out. Um, but Talk about disappointment and heartache, but then the second thing around was so much better. Did you go to the inauguration of Obama? I did not. Man, it was great. It, but it was freezing cold. Anybody who remembers who was there, it was like below 15 degrees. It had not been that cold in Washington, D.C. in like over 100 years. It was a historically cold day. And I say because hell was freezing over because a black man was getting inaugurated. To, and that's what it was going to take for that to happen. But it was so cold. And I'm very much abridging the story. I ended up, I, I got tickets because I had campaigned and like got tickets from a staffer to be in the like first tier section that sits behind where like Congress and VIPs sit. And so had, you know, stood outside all night to get into my VIP area. Mm -hmm. And was I remember like there were all these celebrities walking by. I remember Nick Cannon and Mariah Carey were still together. They walked by. I remember um, the actress Lynn Whitfield walking by. I remember um, some like uh, Strahan, the guy on uh, GMA, mm -hmm. Michael Strahan. He walked, and so 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 cool. But then I started getting so 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 cold to the point where like I couldn't heat up. And I started to feel pain in my chest. I started to feel pain in my stomach. I started feeling just really, really tired. Like, I can't even stand up. People see me, like, starting to, like, lose it. Somebody offers me, like, uh, uh, coffee, um, granola bars. I mean, talking about the angels who come and save the day. I yeah. mean, these are complete strangers. Next thing I know, um, this actor, Wend Wendell, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting his last name. But anyway, he's on a show on, I think, HBO called Treme. He comes over, and he gets this other guy. He's like, this girl needs a stretcher. Get her to the medics because she she's, she's like, passing out. He puts me on a stretcher. The medics come. They take me up to this, like, little medic station. They bring me in there to heat me up because at this point, I, I'm shaking violently, and I cannot stop. I can't control it. And I remember looking up at the sky thinking, like, I can't believe this is the way that I'm going to die. 
wow, I've got so much living that I still want to do. Wow, this is how I'm going out. Oh, my goodness. Right, you oh, just wow. went right to the deathbed, didn't you? Yeah. No, I really, I was shaking so, so much because mm. I was violently cold. They put me on these warmers immediately, and they start giving me fluids. And... um and I missed everything. As they were like getting me into the medic station, um, Joe Biden was coming out to take the oath of office. So I missed the whole inauguration because I'm up in there. With Wendell the Pierce. Wendell Pierce. Thank you, Joy, <laughs> for the win. Wendell <laughs> Pierce saved my life. So, yes. So I missed the whole thing. Fast forward, Uncle Barack gets another four years in office, and I'm like, I'm going to that inauguration too. But at this point, oh, so what had happened? Let me break it down. The doctors told me I had hypothermia. Now, that happens when you when your body temperature hits 89 degrees. By the time they got me in there, I was shaking so furiously they couldn't even, the thermometer would not even hold in my mouth because my head is flailing. So it would, it just kept on falling out. By the time they were able to take my temperature, I was at 87 degrees. Wow. I was going into organ, organ failure. I was dying. Crazy. I, Fast I, forward. I know. I should have... <laughs> if, <laughs> what's happening in the room right now I've is Dee Dee Didi is telling the most animated, probably one of the most horrific stories of her life. It was scary. And I am having zero reaction Dead because pan. I don't know why I'm so tired. But keep going. Because <laughs> she doesn't care about it's, my life. It's not that. You know what it is, actually? Uh, talk about being prepared. You know, I don't know our guest. So like as I'm listening to you tell the story, I'm which, by the way, another lesson, just stay in the moment. Yes, I'm anticipating please. what I'm going to talk to this man about because I have not prepared. Yo, so there's no tie in. He I'm, wasn't there. I'm <laughs> having a slight, a slight anxiety attack, even though I want to listen to this story. Anyway, continue. I'm going to be present and You're forget about our guest to, for a second. Well, we're going to replay this and you can hear go, go, go. Your, your girlfriend's harrowing life story. But okay, anyway, go. so. Fast forward, I go to the next inauguration, but I I don't even try. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to be outside because I've learned what my body limits are and it's too cold and mm. I can't risk that again. And my mother, of course, was like, girl, no, you are going to be safe. You're going. We can watch it from inside. So we go to a beautiful restaurant that's right on the National Mosh. It was actually in Union Station. Um, B. Smith's, who just passed away, God rest her soul, um, a week ago today. She had a restaurant in Union Station, walking distance from the Capitol. So, and there's a huge viewing party, lots yeah. of food, wonderful things. So we're in there. Oh, and my girlfriend Millery, hi Millery, if you're listening, was also there with us. And as I'm watching the people congregate, and you know, all the energy is so exciting. I mean, just euphoric. I'm starting to feel like I really should be out there with the people, but I don't want to risk my life. Now, it was a much warmer day because Hella only had to freeze over twice, so the world was used to the black president now. So it was like solidly like 40 degrees. Okay. So I, you know, as things are starting, you know, I ate, I'm, you know, enjoying all the people around us in the restaurant, but something in me was just like, you know, just go out there. Give it a shot. You've campaigned for this guy. Maybe you can just just watch a little bit of it and then come right back inside so your health is not compromised. So I go out and so I get my mom's permission <laughs> and I go out there. I don't have a ticket. I don't have anything like and there's mad security that you have to go through. Anyway. Yeah. But I'm just like wandering around and I just see a line of people who's waiting to get admitted onto the National Mall. And I just start saying randomly anybody got an extra ticket extra ticket ticket extras anyone anyone and then so finally this man finally was like how many do you need and i'm like wait what that guy had an extra ticket not only did he have an extra ticket he had an extra ticket in the section where congress sits that he had because a friend of his worked for somebody blah blah blah, blah. he had been going to every inauguration since jimmy carter and he gave me his extra ticket, refused to take any money. He and I go. We watch the inauguration. I'm standing right underneath. Okay. Bro now I it was I, I'm getting to the tail end of the story. Right, right, right. So the, the second time around, completely unplanned, compl like I had no plan. I had no hope. He, say, unexpected angel, came and gave me the opportunity of a lifetime to participate and watch right there. I mean, like Oprah was in an arm's distance. It was ridiculous. I had no idea it was going to be that good. And 
I had been thinking about, you know, the devastation of missing it the first time around, but second time around, so much better. Long story. Thanks for listening. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just want a piece of that energy. But having said that, like, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant story. I think it's a great tie-in to our guest, which, of course, you're going to have to introduce me. (laughs) Yes. Although he's beautiful. Yes, he is. You're beautiful. Thank you so much. Very handsome. We are joined in studio today by one of the dearest people in the world to me, Daniel Matura. And I... Daniel is, he's saving us today because I, you know, when we, we spoke, he said, I was like, I think I, I might be able to find someone who lives I, not too far from That was at 10.07 and the podcast was starting at 11. So just to put that out there. Right. On a Saturday morning <laughs> when most people are still asleep. Mm-hmm. So I shoot him a message. I call him. He doesn't answer. I'm like, oh, Lord, I don't know anybody else. And then you call me right back and you're like, hey, what's going on? I was on a conference call. What's up? And I'm like, now I'm here. And here you are. Thank you, Daniel. So It's wonderful to be here. Thank well, you so much for asking me. Well, you know that I had asked you before, but mm-hmm. we, we were going to schedule it and plan it and do all the things. So I don't so have... So we we're on topic here, though, because I was in my own head planning on being here someday. Yes. And I thought it was going to be in a few weeks or a few months or something like that as I was watching your you know, podcast and uh, but now here I am. Yeah, now yeah. here you are, and yeah. it's wonderful to have you here. I don't have your bio in front of me. Normally, you know what? I would have why, well, go a little off script, Daniel. Why don't you tell us everything you possibly can about you? Everything I possibly everything. can about myself. Well, I, well, I'll just say this: <laughs> that, you know, Daniel is he—he he is the person who got me back into theater, and he is an artist. He is a writer. He's a director. He's a producer. He is an actor. He is an art dealer he is a renaissance person he is one of the most fearless fearless people that i know and one of the most wise people that i know so anything that he drops is going to be for the blessing of anybody listening so i mean you're you're like my unofficial counselor he sends me my horoscopes i'm not even kidding so yeah he's he's a prophet (laughs) all-purpose yes so tell us about yourself and then we'll dive into and then we'll figure out how to (laughs) put some structure around this show well I'll, I'll tell you the way that i i met Didi. okay um, we that's actually great. met sort of um you know through through email at first i was working on a show at theater row mm-hmm. which was an adaptation of the picture of dorian gray yes um and uh Didi was one of the supporters of the show even before you know we had officially met in person mm-hmm. well let and me back it up he was still a student at columbia at the time shout out columbia and we had just gotten I'd seen this this message about, you know, we have this senior who is looking for supporters for an off Broadway show. You know, anybody who's interested, reach out. And I had produced a show my senior year at Columbia at the school. And I just remember that was my first time ever doing any any production. Um, I had only acted before yeah. that. And I remember what a Herculean effort that felt like. And I just saw this and I was like, wait a minute, this student has gotten himself off Broadway already? He has to be remarkable. Okay, yeah, I, I want to see what this is about. So that's how I When well, I remember the first time actually meeting her in person, we mm-hmm. had this, uh, it was like a opening night party. Okay. And um, was in Chelsea at Elmo Lounge. And, and, you know, there she was, you know, Dee Dee's very tall. And so across the whole room, Dee Dee, I saw yep. her across the room, you know, above everyone else. Like there she was in the middle of the room. This big, bright and, light. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and like so beautiful and mm-hmm. so bright and have this, having this great energy and, um, you know, being one of those people, you know, talking about the theme of the show that sort of just jumps into things right. and, uh, you know, is is there with energy and support and uh, brings great people um, to herself with right. that energy. So, you know, I think that's like how we met. And then the rest is history. Uh, and, you know, so I, I, I'm an actor and writer and uh, I majored in art history at Columbia. So you have become like an art collector and, you know, doing a lot in the art world as well. And, um, you know, because I see a lot of a lot of crossover between that with artists and whether they're visual artists or actors, writers, you know, that's so much of my circle. Did you grow up in that that energy? I didn't actually. I <laughs> where are you from, I, Daniel? I'm from Dallas, Texas. Oh, Dallas, yeah, Texas. I can and, I just a little. I used to be a Cowboys fan. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So you know, when I'm not I was, anymore. But yeah, when I was growing up, is mm-hmm. more the time that there were more fans because right. they were winning more. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago. Exciting long to be a fan. Ago. Yeah. 
Um, and uh, I mean, I of course had exposure to the arts in, in Dallas, and you know, it's wonderful. I mean, the Myerson Symphony Center and many other things. Um, but I went to a school. I went to an all boys Catholic school. It was okay. very traditional education. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom at the time was running a homeless shelter for families. So she oh. was very much in the social services, um, which is a huge inspiration. I mean, doing that kind of work in Dallas at the time, helping families get back on their feet. Mm -hmm. Um, so much of my exposure was, you know, through, I guess my own interest and in mm -hmm. discovery. I mean, I always had this sort of mind, go to see a movie and then, you know, just for example, like, so if I saw the movie Amadeus, I would see the movie and then I'd be like, oh, I really want to know about more about Mozart. And then I would right. look and I'd say, actually, I know now I want to know more about the Austrian Empire. What was that? And then, you know, just from there and then reading about that history, say, until World War One. And then I wanted to read about Salieri and then I wanted to read about other composers and then Haydn and then sort of. That's how my brain would work. Okay. Um, Doesn't and, everybody's? <laughs> seems pretty normal to me. Through, <laughs> uh, you know, but like in that, I almost think it's like a sort of a Wikipedia type brain. I really liked following those like links from there. What but, was it that you were trying to ascertain? Like if you start with the movie Amadeus, were you trying to understand the genius that created that storyline? Or were you just more curious around, wait, how does... I want to know everything I can that's interesting I to me. I think what I was most interested in was the intersections. Yeah. So that, you know, history is taught sort of chronologically and you sort of do it by um, geographic regions. So mm -hmm. there's Latin American history, there's yeah. U.S. history, we had Texas history. Art is taught, you know, in its own segments. Uh, music, the same thing. But it's very rare that anything is ever taught together. So, you know, what, you know, who was the king of France when... Mozart was composing The Marriage of Figaro, you know, that kind of thing that was interesting to me because I always saw art and artists as responding organically to the community right, of everything around them in the time and the place and the media. And But we study all of the arts and history very separately mm -hmm. when they're not separate at all. No. Um, you know, so if you think about like John Locke and writing the two treatises on government mm -hmm. and having that, you know, be a response to the Glorious Revolution – that's important. It's not just a work of philosophy. Right. You know, and so I think that's kind of where I went from that is to sort of figure out how all these things were related and then to find my own place in how I was related to the things around me. Right. How do you how do you drop into that intersection? Yeah, I've exactly. been wanting to ask this question for a long time, and I actually can't believe it's relevant at this particular moment. Do you think it's easier to create now than back then? Or do you think that historically during those times the world was simple and so those intersections could happen uh, it wasn't simple it was easier to make those intersections happen i think that you know now it's funny it's a blessing and a curse we sort of have some people have a burden of creativity because we have this sort of idea the myth of the artist you know mm -hmm. so like michelangelo was hired to paint the sistine chapel ceiling which might be the most famous painting ever right but he saw himself as a sculptor and so the painting was a sort of a like a job and then he had to sort of theologically go along you know all the things he was depicting there were a lot of rules about how they were depicted mm -hmm. so it was more um rational it was more work Linear. but now yeah. you know it's like we're like oh artist and you have to be a great artist and so it kind of can sometimes put a burden right. on us of like oh my god how do i find inspiration and all this stuff whereas like you know back in the day that was very much like it was his work and now we see it as this great art and it's funny because actually it's the renaissance artists and mm -hmm. vasari who wrote the first biographies of the artists who created or helped create the sort of superstar artists um you know mythos right. basically i've never heard that term but i love it burden of creativity mm. yeah and it's like because you know it's sort of like you can do anything and then but you feel like you have so much to like live up to the paradox of choice in the yeah. Same time. yeah and obviously you want to to learn what came before but then at a certain point you have to say now i'm going to do something mm. so do you think that art that is created in response to some sort of political demand is any less art or any less pure or any less... That's a great question. Know. It's interesting because I think it depends on whether you think that the fundamental conflicts of politics ever really change. I mean, the actors and the names and everything mm. change. And so if you're responding to something momentary, 
But if we are just replaying many of the same conflicts over and over again, then you are, you know, the art can be responding to something more eternal. Life. So, yeah, to life. I mean, I, I really think that, you know, we have more media now, so we absorb more of politics and what's going on. Right. But the passions and the conflicts that are happening don't seem to me to be very different than what was going on, like in the Roman Republic or the Byzantine Empire or you know, revolutionary France or, you know, any of these things. And so we, we hear more now and we have more of the blow by blow of the details. But I think that the conflicts are, are just as great as they've, they've always been. Greed, so you know, politics feels like. <laughs> I feel as though it's, it's more complicated though now. And the depth of greed and evil has, you know, really pierced humans and society to the point where, uh, you know, I was talking to someone yesterday about, art and community and is that the fundamental answer to solve some of these problems to to bring it back to community to bring it back to art and then put that back out into the community to have conversations around how we sort of fix the world for lack of a better term you know i don't i don't yes i think that absolutely art is one of the most profound weapons against just the chaos right at the same time I think about because yeah, Daniel was mentioning all these, you know, historic eras. Right. I'm thinking the guillotine was invented centuries ago. Right. People were disgusting from the very beginning. You know, in, in my mind, and also great and wonderful, and also and, great yes, and wonderful. And, and, and so, and, 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 I was like, let's yeah. something. Let's, right. yeah. let's go back to the and, original no, theme no, of yeah. positivity. Yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that people were very. Uh, creative in how they wanted to inflict human suffering. Um, that is not something new that we're experiencing now in, you know, the quote-unquote modern era. And I do think on in some ways we are replaying, you know, what's the phrase? Uh, same crap, different toilet, temporally. The more that changes, the more that stays the same. Right. <laughs> but I think there's certainly, because <laughs> the duality of those two comments <laughs> is quite incredible. <laughs> but... You know, wow, Daniel, question. When was the moment for you yourself that you realized that you could take all of this profound information that you had and your creative juices and turn it into a career for yourself? I always thought that. Uh, I think that I from, mean, from I, when, as like a child? I thought that, but I, I think that I was kind of doing that. I always found myself doing that and wanting to sort of reinterpret to take all these things in and to change them and to like understand them and then to revisit them later and to grow you know and sort of like I remember um maybe it was like five years ago or so and I was looking through you know a lot of the books and dvds that I had as, mm -hmm. you know, as a kid and I was like wow you know I actually still love all of those and they're all still incredibly important to me and, you know, that sort of those touchstones of like what had brought me into the creative world, like haven't changed okay. and how much, you know, those inspirations. And of course, there's like new inspirations. But like I said, I think that they kind of sometimes take different forms. You know, it's like the it's like the remake. It's like what I'm finding in that is very much the, the same thing. But, you know, I think that's kind of like life is a sort of rediscovering your inspiration all the time. Right. Yeah. And, and, and how it comes to you and the people it comes to you through and the, the people, the media, the the art, the movies that bring back that same inspiration. So you're extremely multi-hyphenate. <laughs> did you always want to do all of these things? Or did you start saying, I want to be a storyteller? And then later on, it's like, and I think I want to do producing as well. I think it's, you know, kind of like the theme of the show. It's, it's the opportunities that came to me and mm -hmm. people would ask me things, ask me to be involved in something. And then I thought, well, I haven't done that before. And I was like, well, I think that maybe that's why I should say yes. You know, and, and of course, being upfront about that. And when I got into things and say, well, you know, I've never done this before. Um, but those opportunities came to me. And I think that's, I was like, well, it's, it's here for a reason. You know, the opportunities present themselves usually so we can say, or we should say yes, and then figure out what that is, you know, and go down that road. And so I think that's kind of more like, life brought that to me. I don't feel like I'm an architect of, of that. Was that, so, so did you engage in the arts in high school as well? Did you, were you in drama? And, I did. Okay. Yeah. I was, I was writing and acting in plays in high school. Okay. And... So this was, this was pretty much the foundation of who you were. Yeah. It's not yeah. as, it's not necessarily like, oh, I'm going to, you know, go to school and do this thing and then come home and, and read and, and write and engage in the arts. You were, yeah. you were full on doing this. Yeah. Yeah. And then you left Dallas when? 
um, for, for, for college, college yeah, mm-hmm. when I went to Columbia. So, um, you know, moved to New York City and uh, that I think the transition was almost somewhat easier in the sense that I was in school. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you go to the university and you have that kind of structure and the house, you know, so you're sort of right. not just like moving to New York with your suitcase. And all Why of a sudden, New York versus L.A.? I think because of the opportunity. I mean, the opportunity to go to Columbia, the, um, right. you know, all of that. I mean, at that point, um, you know, looking at it and the sort of, I guess, the idea that, you know, the chance to experience New York is something that a lot of people really value. Right. And, you know, that's something that, you know, can happen when you're a student, you know, and then life happens and there may not be other opportunities for that. So I think at that point, in my life and, you know, having an opportunity to study at Columbia. And I was like, well, then it's also an opportunity to, you know, study through the experience of New York City. I guess it makes it 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 totally makes sense. I'm not sure why I asked the question, because, you (laughs) know, when you think about Los Angeles, it's it is, again, a singular purpose. I'm going to go here to do this. And it sounds like you've always been I'm not going to do this. I'm going to experience everything and then figure out through those intersections where I spend my time. Right. Well, there's this sort of like, you know, this distinction between doing and being, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can accrue a lot of action. You know, people do a lot of things to hit a certain like number of life goals. Right. But they don't really consider, you know, who they are, the, the, what, you know, the be of (laughs) their essence, right? And, you know, if you, if you really are being and being the person that, you know, you want to be and expressing and finding those things that, that inspire you, then what you do organically comes out of that. And then it's an expression of who you are and it's working through that. And it's not, um, you know, action for the sake of action and and going through the to-do list because it doesn't, um, benefit you to just, um, act for the sake of acting. Well, you know, look, clearly the universe (laughs) was speaking, you know, volumes today, bringing you here. I, that one fundamental truth of your essence and being who you are that ultimately bleeds out or comes out in what you do. I don't think that's very easy. I don't think that's easy for a lot of people. Why? Because I think the doing is how we've defined who we are. And it gives us a sort of, it's like the sugar hives. Like you do something and it's a very temporary satisfaction that you've done something and you can defend yourself by saying, I've done this, I've done that. You know, it's a, it's yeah. also how it depends on how you've grown up and what the, you know, socioeconomic experiences that you've had in terms of, I mean, to, to be very frank and very honest, I struggle with it all the time. You know, I I felt the doing would, or I was misinformed, right? I focused more on the doing than the being hmm. because somehow the non-tangibles weren't reflective in what I thought I could accomplish or I was told that the non-tangibles really didn't matter and the non-tangible is the being right so it's just I don't think I don't think I'm alone in that struggle of, of course not of, and but there, Daniel's you know Daniel's over here just uh, like <laughs> but I think, yo just be yeah know? but I but, think but, but be and understand that the being will result in a do so it's not Related, they are not mutually exclusive, but because so much of our attention is on the, the do, 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 yeah. do, do, especially in a town like this. And you're absolutely right, Preeti. We have a, a structure that, you know, just look at a resume. What have you done? They're not asking about the person that you are. Like who are you? You know, who are you as we define you with these limited metrics of what are your achievements? But they might not have anything to do with the essence of what is inside of you. And that essence might actually be the wellspring from which your truest and highest production I, can come I agree. From. I, I think the point is I, str- I struggle yeah. or I have struggled. I think my essence is more clear to me now sure. than it was, you know, last year and a few mm. years ago. Yeah. But I, you know, I find it so incredibly enlightening and refreshing. But I that think you're... the struggle itself is very fantastic. I mean, the fact that you are struggling, that is the process of mm. definition mm-hmm. of, of who you are. And if you just sort of all at once, like were, you know, had that essence and it was uncovered that would actually be kind of boring wouldn't it so i think the fact that like the struggle is helping you define that and you're on a sort of continual continual stages of discovery is actually a really great thing Mm -hmm. you know because just like the people who told you you had to do this and do that those same people told you that the that struggle was bad right Right. but really the struggle is just part of the process you know the the conflict Mm -hmm. you know because no obstacles that you're given are insurmountable ever Obstacles are only there to help you define 
who you are, right? So, <laughs> Daniel, you're going to be on every week. <laughs> no, no, no. I think that that's you are you know. you're speaking over us and giving us shots of adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. No, but I think because life the, is a struggle right the now. The obstacles are gifts because they're they are helping you in that process of definition. Um, you know, this I remember where I read this, but you know, it was this idea that um, an op, a, an obstacle can only appear insurmountable if it's not real. So there's no such thing as an insurmountable obstacle. They're there to be climbed and then gone over. Mm. So if it's insurmountable, that's the creation of your own head. And you're not actually benefiting from what you can get from you know getting to the other side. So you should be grateful for those obstacles because they're getting you closer to um to to where you're going. You know? Okay. Preeti, you are this. closer. I'm close. Just like you said, like all of those X's were better and better and better. So all the obstacles. Yeah, it's closer and closer, you know, towards it, but there's always more to go. There's always more to yeah. go. Whoa. I know. You Take a moment right that. there. What do you do, Daniel, in those moments where you, you know, it's, I'm sure you also have moments where you think, oh, this is in the moment insurmountable. What are your tricks? <laughs> what are your tricks? I'll, I'll just, I, I want to stop in and say, as I, you know, in the text over the way, I'm like, it's going to be fine. Daniel's going to be there. He's one of the most fearless people that I know. So I don't think that he sees himself as ever having anything that he can't do. But I'll throw it to you, Daniel. That's just my perspective on you. And maybe it's not true at all. I think it's just about re redefining it, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, obviously, yeah, I do have feelings. and Yeah, Daniel does have feelings. I do have in the moment um, reactions, but you know, it's really fascinating, uh, you know, this difference between responding and reacting, reacting to things. Mm-hmm. You know, reacting to things is emotional, and it's sort of fascinating how, you know, re- there's a lot of things, and I'll, I'll have reactions to them, and then five minutes later, I'm like, wow, what a reaction that was, because, like, I thought about it for five minutes, and mm-hmm. it's not what I thought it was at all. So, you know, I, I I do experience that. And I think it's about, you know, shifting the paradigm and then also asking myself why I'm reacting in that way. Because right. often your reactions can tell you so much about yourself and your own defense mechanisms. Um, and it you might know, not even be related to the exact thing that's happening in the oftentimes moment. Oftentimes it's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can really learn a lot and you're like, well, why did I react this way? And then that can be enlightening in its, you know, on and its then, own. Yeah. yeah, which I, I really, I really like to do. And then looking back on, on things. I mean, if you look back to events, you can often find, you know, you were talking about with <laughs> inauguration. I mean, you can often find a sort of <laughs> rhyme or reason in them, and and then a gratitude that they did work out the way that they did. You know what I really do want to talk about as well. I want to talk about some of your work. I really want to talk about the things that have given you like such incredible joy to work through mm-hmm. and maybe some things that you thought, oh, still a learning lesson, not as fun as I thought they were going to be. Fantastic. Okay. Yeah, I would love to do that. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> you know, it's so as in talking about politics, I'm working on a script now that very much deals with politics. And I, you know, mentioned, um, you know, I had worked on adaptations before of, mm-hmm. of novels and things like that. And so I remember I had been talking to a friend a couple of years ago and he was like, you know, you absorb so much um, of politics. I read, you know, constantly all of Politico, all of the New York Times politics, all of it, uh, Daily Beast. And, you know, I look through all of them every day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he said to me, he was like, well, why don't you write something that deals with that? And I had kind of hadn't struck my brain, you know, that I had this sort of knowledge base about it. But what I found then, you know, in writing about politics was that then it brought up kind of like we were talking about with obstacles, this thinking about, well, what are my beliefs? You know, if I have a character that is conservative, am I putting him in there because I want to lampoon him? Am I putting him in there because I agree with him? And that's me saying maybe what I want to say, but I don't because of where I, you know, it's sort of actually then the stakes become really high, especially Mm -hmm. as a writer, because you get put on this sort of like everything that you write, like a lot of people will equate that with what you believe. Right. And not a lot of people can perceive satire unless it's like so over the top. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like it's actually very difficult to do. So, you know, for example, like what Stephen Colbert used to do mm-hmm. where he would say a lot of, you know, conservative things, but he pushed it to such a degree right. that it made it so it was lampooning. Right. But, you know, there was no subtlety in that and right. there couldn't be. Um, you know, so I, I found that really challenging in saying, well, I want to write something about politics and something that could be current day. You know, when you write about different eras, you kind of 
have a control because that chapter of the era is closed and you can say how the people behaved and how they talked. And you can also, when you write an adaptation, um, you, you can, you know, people can try to figure out your values and you can say, well, no, it's like that because that's how it was in the book. But when you create it, then it's all your values, your values of how you see entertainment. So, mm-hmm. you know, with the script, like how long is it? What kind of beats are there? How much action is how you, you know, perceive what a script should be. And then, like I said, with the characters and with their politics, and then what is the moral? What's the point? How does it end up? Who wins? Who loses? Right? Because the person who wins, then that's the the view that you're putting forward that should win, right? right. So you suddenly are starting to express all of these um, beliefs, whether you know it or not. And of course, that happens in every script. But when it's something that deals with politics, then it's so obvious, right? <laughs> like of exactly how that how that stands. So I, I find that interesting because, you know, I encounter a lot of people and ever since I moved to New York and, you know, they'll be like, oh, you're from Texas. So, you know, you must be like mm-hmm. <laughs> Republican <laughs> or, you know, that kind of thing. You're from and, that red state. Yeah. And it's 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 fascinating how they, you know, kind of want a pigeonhole. And it's like, well, I don't, you know, what is that? What are you asking when you're saying like, okay, right. so you're, you know, Republican or, you know, and, and being from Texas. Well, being from New York doesn't mean that someone's liberal and people, you know, in upstate New York, mm-hmm. there's a lot of red districts, right? right. So like, how, and, and what they assume that that to mean, and they don't see the the distinction. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, I find that, I find that really fascinating. So you, you're into writing this script. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, no, because I do, I do, um, <clears throat> from looking at, you know, the, a lot of the political coverage, there's a lot of, you know, what I see <clears throat> that plays out is, uh, I mean, there's so much of human interaction and power dynamics and status and people going into it with uh, beliefs, with idealism, and then ha- seeing how that warps, right? right? Seeing how idealism when it has to touch the real world and when you have to go from the ideal to getting something done, what changes in the transition and what changes about you in the transition of that, I find really, really interesting. And, you know, it's something that I found interesting um, in the novels that I read mm-hmm. growing up, uh, which, you know, in some of my favorite novels dealt exactly with that. So in some ways, I guess I'm kind of, you know, <laughs> still somewhat... Um, adapting things but just and one other point that I, I i was always very inspired by so one of those novels that was my favorite uh is called the red and the black by mm-hmm. stendhal and it's, uh, the subtitle is a chronicle of 1830 and it's um you know about that period in france and so i've post, never heard of this book post napoleonic france and the red and the black refer to these the two things that you could become uh, you could either sort of join the army or join the priesthood if you mm-hmm. weren't aristocratic. I mean, that very, was the society. Very, uh, great choices. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, in like the the just post-Napoleonic France, but like pre-1848 right. revolution, you know, it was not yet like the socialist revolution, but it had, you know, sort of tried to recover from empire. And about, um, a, you know, a boy from the provinces who mm-hmm. eventually sort of climbed a social ladder. But anyways... The, the greatest thing that I read in, in that book that really inspired me about writing about politics is that the main character is employed as a scribe at one point for mm-hmm. a political meeting. And it's like the mayor of the town and someone who works with the king and all this stuff happening. And Stenthal does this great thing where when the scene starts, he says, well, if I was going to describe like what the conversation was, that would be really boring. And actually, it would make this novel out of date within you know any time. So he's like, I'm just going to skip the entire content of what Julien transcribed and i'm going to skip to the end of the meeting and it was just in in novels it's quite revolutionary at that time to to do that kind of thing you know Mm -hmm. to sort of break the fourth wall and say Mm -hmm. you know now i'm going to do this and i'm going to skip it and he you know what he skipped was like the content that would have been very relevant to someone in you know 1830 wasn't but it's not now right Mm -hmm. so that would have made your eyes glaze over right as you read the novel but that that thought process of understanding that for the yeah. future sort of reading of that That's novel. Right. And I've always thought about that. I it's love like, it when they yeah. break that wall. And it's like what's important and what's not, you know. Right. So like in in you know even writing about politics now is like that it's not, you know, specifically like, you know, writing about the immigration bill that's going through Congress or the Supreme Court. You know, not doing that kind of thing, but trying to find out like what is the overarching struggle. You well, know, you've like, also got an incredible cast of characters 
in today's political landscape oh to pull from. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you know, look, I, I haven't read a significant amount of political history, but it's you know, it's it's an interesting and dynamic forum, and you can pull from many different themes to create this character and this story. I think that the issue I find today is that some of the if you wanted to sort of base a character on some of the people you see in the media, they would almost skew the tone of the work so far towards like a bizarre comedy that you have to be careful that like, you know, you just have to skip to the skip what's actually happening to the fourth. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, some of the characters are so over the top of reality that you have to sort of, you know, I think about that a lot with the tone. It's Mm -hmm. like, what's the tone of a, a political work? Is it like, is it bizarre comedy? Like, how do we actually perceive it? You know, I'm wondering with the masterful, you know, grasp that you have on all of these different eras of history and different <laughs> ways to, <laughs> well, well the, the specific ones in which yeah. you have studied. Have you ever had a project, Daniel, where you were really, really building on and were dedicated to uh, a particular outcome? And then shit fell apart. Oh, that's and everything. you had to. <laughs> that's why he's on our podcast, right? Today. Yeah. No, has, 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 can you speak to a, a, a moment when but that has happened, say, and know, then the thing that came out of what seemed like everything coming away actually turned out to be even better? Well, I feel like isn't that the definition of this word humility? When those things happen, mm. and then and then we realize that what came out of it was better than what we could have envisioned ourselves and then we sort of take ownership of it because like it ends up being so good this is my plan the whole time (laughs) but but i think that that's it is that you almost like not like want things to um get shaken up but they always do you know tell us about a time when it did i (laughs) i feel like i think of a specific time i mean i think it happens often when i hear actors like you know read um work mm. and of yours yeah and okay. and then all Naming of a no sudden names. you know things that i you know hadn't thought out so much or you know i, I feel like sometimes they get a lot of free passes like things work really well or you know um actors make things work that i hadn't really made work on the page mm-hmm. uh, they bring something to life they they give it like a depth that wasn't on the page and then people perceive it as your script and you're like oh yes you know of course like that's how i saw the character right um you know so i i I feel like i experience that often you know it this is reminding me of can we can we shout out kathleen oh of course yeah so uh daniel and i have had the wonderful experiences of working with this playwright who is phenomenal kathleen mcgee anderson Mm -hmm. who i met sort of randomly i mean in barcelona um (laughs) this is the life that this is yeah but this is this is when you're open and present this is the life everyone can lead let's go for it yeah yeah absolutely (laughs) and we met and her name is kathleen mcgee anderson amazing writer Mm -hmm. and you know we also columbia alum yeah and we met and um then she mentioned sending the script and then of course that was the summer and then you know a few months passed well wait you're skipping over some detail here so just for Preeti's benefit yeah i do want to break down our listeners and our listeners benefit of course kathleen is an established uh television writer Mm -hmm. playwright all the things Mm -hmm. they met um in barcelona and both discovered that they were, you know, these wonderful writers. And she expressed, you know, I've been working on this script, not quite sure what to do with it. Um, I'll send it to you. And at that time, because we had been we had been connected at that point for just a few years. Yeah. And so I had uh, been um, offering feedback on some of Daniel's scripts and things. And then he comes uh, and sends me her script. And I remember reading it in one sitting. And I'm like, I have no notes. This is incredible. It's fantastic. Oh my goodness. Just and but because of her interaction with Daniel, she changed the ending of her story. So plot back in it and break down how that happened. Oh, well, you know, I, I do this thing that endears me to some people and does the opposite to other people. <laughs> where she sent me her script and I just I sent back a really long email mm. that was full of reflections, reactions. And then even just bluntly, but not even, I wouldn't even call them criticism, but I, but I would just say like, 
you know, I really want this to happen. I'm missing this. And of course, you know, you can imagine some people that get those types of emails from me are like, well, you know, just go to hell. Like, right. <laughs> um, and, you know, she was one of those people that, you know, and then I didn't hear from her actually. And I thought, oh no, like, she's like, oh, you know, there you go again, Daniel. Like mm-hmm. one of your, like, no one asked for your opinion. And they got this like whole book written in response of like how <laughs> your script fits in with like the light you know world historical like narrative and what it's like in other works and and then how you should change the end you know all that stuff but anyways and then she she wrote back it was a few months later and as dd said and then with this like new last scene and um you know it's funny it was kind of self-serving in a way you know i don't want to give myself too much credit so when we met she's like oh you remind me of the character in the script i think you should play that role Mm. and so when i read the script you know it ends it's about um a young uh, reporter for Vanity Fair, and he gets involved with these uh, two women. They're both, they're older, they're African-American. One's a very famous writer. Mm-hmm. Um, who, another one, the other woman that's working for her is also a writer, but mm-hmm. has, you know, and it's sort Not of, African-American. She's Caucasian woman. Oh, you, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, the I two mean. two writers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. that's one of the... Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. The famous yeah. writer is African-American. She's working, yeah. So, um this you know the play ends you know with a scene with the two of them and mm-hmm. Colin the the character is gone and so you know part of my comment in not so many words was was like well i think the last scene should have Colin how do they get over him so easily he should be in the <laughs> something should happen you know we see this whole play of these three characters interacting so you know two characters have a relationship third character comes in then third character leaves and end of play is like two characters with relationship i was like no way right, right. just from a visceral reaction i was like Two people, character comes in, things have to change, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, and then they don't get to just digest Colin and then their relationship's fine. Like, it's got to, like, you know, fundamentally, like, blow the whole thing up. And so that was the extent of my comment. It was kind of self-serving. And then mm-hmm. what she came back with was a, like, brilliant integration of that character into the relationship for the final scene of the play in a way that, you know, I I said this thing of Colin should come back, but – you know, how that happened was in a way that I never could have imagined or suggested. So, you know, that that's like how it came out and that shocked people in the, you know, sort of by the by the end. So um, it was wonderful. Yeah. Of this of this play um, at the uh, Playwrights Horizons. Playwrights Horizons. Presented um, at the Matrix Theater in in Hollywood. L.A. And and you played um, Khan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, well, this is some inc- from... talk about like the Daniel ch- having me have a Bali moment, right? Of realizing things that seem impossible actually are not. It was my first exposure to you know if you have a story that you want to tell and you want to get prominent people involved in supporting it, you don't have to have a fortune. You don't have to be famous. You put it out there. People might be responsive. We were able to get incredible actors Mm. to participate in these presentations of this show i'm still humbled can we oh my god yeah i mean just just you know that kind of just jumped on board too and you know i just like reach out to people and you know on the strength of the script they they really wanted to to do it and and brought like the sort of full force of all their experience Mm -hmm. and again like which i'm humbled by i mean it's one you know thing to play like a 20 something character that's like aspiring in a right, you know, that wasn't mm-hmm. like such a stretch for me or whatever, you know, but then to see these women, you know, bring what they brought to the character in their life experience and also yeah. in their performing experience, yeah. like of how they held the stage and then, you know, how, like kind of, I was just saying how they brought these words and characters to life. And I know that like, you know, Kathleen was excited by it too, to see this, like this amazing uh, scripts, like, you know, happen on stage and, and work and have people like hanging on every word and like gasping, laughing, you know, sort of such a true Testament to wonderfully creative storytelling. I think that when you have such a poignant story, people want to tell it. Yeah. They want to tell it. Absolutely. Are you familiar with law and order? Uh, Yes. You know, the woman who plays the chief. Yes. Apatha. Yes. Apatha Excellent actress. She, Excellent. She starred as the as the lead um, writer for the New York and the L.A. productions. That's incredible. And then we had, did you ever watch um, Frasier? I did. So the woman who plays his producer. Oh, wow. Perry Gilpin. Perry's she great. She did the New York one. And Say then that we like got she's my best friend. Um, Allie, what's her last name? 
Allie Mills. Allie Mills. Yeah. Did you watch uh, the the Wonder Years mm-hmm. as a kid? The Mom. Well, I mean, that's an Phenomenal. incredible group of women. No. All and then other, very strong other character actors. actors. We have to shout out Jacques. Oh, oh Jean Broussard. Jean, yeah, I'm sorry. Well. Jean, and then my we friend Jean. Amin and in LA, he's an incredible, incredible actor. Yes. Um, he's Egyptian. It's an actor and just like brought like. What was the show that he was on? Colors. Newsroom? Newsroom and then uh, also Prison Break. Yeah. yeah. So it's like some it was amazing. Just phenomenal. I'm like, yo, I don't know anybody. I don't know what we're doing, Daniel. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing. PD, and, I don't and know our what friend, we're doing on and the a podcast. Shout out, our sh- a shout out to Kim Brockington as oh, well. Oh, Kim Brockington, like one absolutely. Of the best actors yes. that we've ever worked with we and worked you, with Kim. subsequently. Who's yeah? There is so much sparkly magic happening in the room right now. It's yeah. sort of overwhelming and great. I'm awake now, people. I'm hey. awake. It's at the end of our our time. Oh my gosh! I have to, I want to ask Daniel. First of all, you have to come back, but I want to ask you just a couple questions if you don't yes. mind, like really quick ones. It's like a Proust questionnaire, like one word answers. One word. The the um the book. If I can, that's the challenge. Yeah. This is my obstacle. This for is today. it. This is it. Kidding, right? Okay. There are no obstacles, Daniel. <laughs> Refrain. The I'm gonna get over it. One book you would like everyone listening to this podcast to read. That is an amazing question. Oh my god, thanks. <laughs> I would say, you know, and I just read this book, and actually, I, I bought it when I was with Didi. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called These Truths. It's a history of the United States, and it actually sort of goes through United States history, um, not in a sort of encyclopedic way, but calling out various trends and mm-hmm. in an era focusing on one of the major figures of that era. So in the 1700s, Benjamin Franklin. In the 1800s, there's a little bit of Andrew Jackson. But then actually the, a lot of the later 1800s is through the lens of Frederick Douglass, major American figures until the present day that type, that attempts to reframe somewhat American history. Um, and the, the book is These Truths. And to show what it has been and what it has not been. And to show actually how imperfect it's been and how the promises, the truths, the things that were, you know, the ideals have constantly, uh, there's been a struggle to actually make those ideals happen and to then keep them. So to, I think it's in a way to give us hope that it's always been a struggle and we've come, there's been progress, mm. there's been some backsliding. But to think about that with the present moment, and I know the author wrote it with that idea because the the big chunk of the book is like the last 10 years. Okay. Even though it starts at the beginning. So that's the one I would say you were saying kind of like should people, you know, that's like Well, I you would want to. Like, if you were going yeah. to have 20 people over to, to discuss a book, this is the book you'd want them to read. I think so. I think okay. right now that would be the one. Okay. Yeah. Um, the author is uh, Jill Lepore. Okay. Great. Uh, the piece of artwork that you've seen that has remained a part of you and you can't shake it anything by Raphael. okay renaissance renaissance is a great artistic period i think because of the amount of um information that was meant to be conveyed behind these works of like sort of the massive you know volumes mm-hmm. and volumes of theology that determine the image but then the image itself representing a sort of balance and harmony and inspiration that exists even if you understand none of the theology i've got one Go, of in? course the play and the musical that you think everyone should see past or present past or present that's a great question um i think for i think for a play hmm a really good question. To be continued, we're going to have you back. How about a musical? <laughs> a musical. Hmm. If you could have the people singing in it that you wanted, you know, <laughs> casting aside. I would have to say, and maybe, you know, it's an opera, but I, I've been thinking a lot about Porgy and Bess. I think that's a really, mm. you know, it's, been a, it's an opera slash musical slash opera. Um, that, I think, is is fantastic. And I, you know, would love to, like, you know, experience that more and the sort of way that it pushes musical forms and the time that it existed. So that's what I would say. I think I gave you an opera, but it's been on Broadway, so. Yes, it has. And it is currently at the Met playing. Yes, I believe so. so There's some more performances. Yeah, yeah. folks can, can catch it if they'd like. So I, I think throughout the duration of this podcast, we have 
most accurately demonstrated how magic happens when you least expect it, how Ugh. plan B is even better than plan A. I, I Daniel, thank you so much. Guys, if you want to follow Daniel, because obviously he has so much knowledge to share in just about everything. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even get to the horoscope stuff. We didn't get to the horoscope stuff. He knows stuff. the zodiac. I think what we should do is all read our individual horoscopes after this and figure out if it made sense with this podcast. Yes. Because this this has been amazing. Please follow Daniel on Instagram, DJM2124. He's got a lot of fun Instagram stories and pics that will make your day, I think. He always looks sensational in these amazing places that he travels all over the world and wonderful art things happening in his life. Daniel, you want to I tell us anything else about you that they should know before we sign off? And advice. Advice to people who are struggling to make the change that they you know, feel they ought to make, but they are a little bit nervous. It's going to happen whether you like it or not. So you can either um, be go along with it. You know, you can swim upstream your whole life or you can go with the change. I mean, it, it's, it is inevitable. So you can be on board with it or not on board with it. And it will be better if you're on board with it. We all, I have nothing to add. We, that's it. That's it. That's it. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Daniel Matura. Thank you, you so much for I having me. You. I love you too. I, I love you too. I just met you, but I love you. All right, guys, catch us next time on The Bali Effect. Bye. See you later. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, follow us on Instagram, the underscore Bali underscore effect, and we'll see you there. Thank you. Bye. Check